0: welcome to the critical witness podcast where we talk faith apologetics evangelism and anything else we can think of we hope you enjoy the show Hello and welcome to Critical Witness, we've uh, just invested a little bit into StreamYard so we've got a couple of interesting features hence a countdown. Um, We've got Mike Austin with us this evening or his afternoon depending on uh, where you are based. Um, Welcome, we're going to talk about God, guns, politics, what could go wrong basically. Uh, it, it's pretty much 2020, anything could go wrong. And hopefully it'll be an interesting, enjoyable conversation, pretty relaxed. We'll see where it takes us. Um, and am not going to really hang around that long with an introduction. Um, join in, ask us questions as we go along. Uh, we are streaming both to Facebook and YouTube for the first time as well. If you're on Facebook, you should be able to comment and we can see it. If you're in the UK Apologetics and Evangelism group on Facebook, you should still be able to comment. We might not see your name and image, though, but that's fine. We can still answer your questions. So get in touch. Let us know if you're watching, where you're watching from. And uh, without any further talk from me for a little bit, let me show you who's on the screen with me. So Dan's here, as usual. Uh, and Mike, hello. Welcome.
1: Hey, thank uh, good you. To
0: have you. And um, yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are and um, what you do, and, and maybe a little bit about your journey to, to faith, uh, if you would.
1: Yeah, you bet. So I'm uh, Mike Austin. I'm a professor of philosophy at Eastern Kentucky University, which is in Richmond, Kentucky. And uh, I didn't even know where that was until I got a job here. It's about an hour and a half south of Cincinnati, Ohio, for those that know more major cities. Um, yeah, I've been here since 2004, so 16, 17 years. And most of my work, like as a as a philosopher, as a scholar, focuses on ethics. I've done work in applied ethics, and probably the past 10 years or so, much more interested in virtue ethics, um, particular virtues. So that's kind of my work. I write books, both for other academics that you know maybe 10 people read, and nine of them so they can write a paper to argue against it, and then. Uh, Another set of books I either published or written or edited that are for normal people, Uh, God and Guns, which we'll talk about in a bit. That's supposed to be for normal people, um, written for people that just have an interest in the issue, Uh, trying to be substantive, but also accessible, which is, you hear it a lot, but I I hope we delivered. Um, Got one wife and three kids. Um, They're all either in college or out with jobs. So that's cool. And probably one of the, as far as my work life, it's been difficult like teaching during a pandemic. I did like some online and some in person socially distance with masks and all that stuff. But then I would, at least in the fall leave, I coach a high school girls soccer team. So that was like the best part of my work day getting out on the field and, and doing that with, uh, yeah, we, our season was shortened, but we got to have a full one. So anyway, um, yeah, most recent stuff I've done uh, as a book I said for scholars was on humility and then God and Guns, and I'm actually working on a book proposal now on uh, for normal people, like on humility and love as a couple of neglected and central virtues for, for followers of Christ, both as communities and as individuals, um, which is a special, I mean, it's pertinent in any context, I think, obviously, but it, uh, the need has become more uh, um, hard to deny in the past five years in the United States, at least.
0: Nice one. Cool and uh so your your journey to faith did you oh, that's right. kind of, did you grow up in the faith did you
1: yeah, I grew up um going to church every week, and it never really it was more just a like don't know almost like a political it was like an identity in terms of that's just what we did. um I think there are some things I didn't understand. I was sort of had that classic view that that, you know, God sort of weighed your good and bad, and you hope that the scales tipped your way when you die. Uh, then as a senior in high school, a friend of mine I'd known since first grade, we both were on the cross-country team. I still remember this so vividly. We were out on a training run, and he just struck up a conversation about faith, and I was really interested. So sometime that my senior year of high school, um, so around 17 years old, kind of made, decided that it's going to make a, like a serious faith commitment, and yeah, Besides a little glitch, uh, one half a year in college, um, it's been good. And so that—that's actually what led me to yes. to philosophy was my faith, and not really philosophy of religion, like a lot of people, but um, just an interest in those deeper questions. And and it, you know, I, I'd heard a, a Christian philosopher who came to the campus I was at. He mentioned once that that there are people with PhDs in all these different fields that your professors are in that that still believe the Bible is reliable, that Jesus is who he said he was and that seek to follow him. And I like that. And he mentioned something about it being a comfort to know there are people out there that know those things and still think it's true. But I wanted to know those things like in a certain field. Um, So I I dove back into uh, graduate school and ended at the end professor. So yes, yeah, so my faith journey. So what's that? I'm 51. That's 34 years. It's hard to believe. Um, mm. and, but it's been, it's been hard in many ways, but good. Nice.
0: Good going. Thanks.
2: Um, good. Going, Dan. yeah, no, I was just gonna say, um, get into the guns, God and guns. I think it's <laughs> yeah. straight in. <laughs> now, the, the, the thing that's hard for us English folks, Brits as a whole, um, I, I is is I'm not saying you have an ex- obsession particularly Mike right. that you might but uh for, for us it just seems that Americans are obsessed with guns yeah um and it often when I've, I've got friends in in the U.S. especially Florida I went to a gun range and have experienced some of the some of the culture of behind how sort of ingrained guns are in 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 the culture and it just it was it was it was so foreign but so normal to them it was such a it was such an odd experience because guns you know over here I've I've never seen a gun and especially for a a Christian to be you know open carrying or just be firing a gun is is just very very foreign to me and it was such an interesting experience because I think as Brits we always think of ourselves as very similar to Americans you know we speak the same language culturally you know very similar you know we tend to you know the U.S. Is, tends to be the trendsetter and we follow in regards to, you know, film, culture, music, etc. And um, I don't really just tell us a little bit about maybe the history about, you know, um, for, for people listening about, you know, what, what is the relationship between guns, uh, U.S. culture and especially Christians? I think that's a yeah. that's bit that seems stranger, the Christian bit.
1: Yeah. And it, it in many ways it is to me. And I mentioned this, I think, in the preface or introduction, whatever it is of the book, that i actually owned a gun when I was um, in utero, right? So my dad bought me a 22 caliber rifle before I was born. Um, and I grew up, you know, going to the like trap and skeet shooting, um, hunting sometimes. So that was a normal part. Like our, we had a gun cabinet downstairs, just under lock and key, but pretty flimsy. Um, so that was normal to me. And that was more... I, what people call now gun in the us gun culture 1.0 where the focus is more on recreation and hunting and that sort of thing and then there's in the past i don't even know maybe since the 70s and 80s it's hard to tell um, and even the history is a little disputed but there's this thing now in the us that is called gun culture 2.0 where the focus is much more on on being an armed citizen on self-defense and so a lot of Christians will Christianize that, talking, you know, using biblical language or passages, proof texts, um, to justify it. But yeah, it's interesting because we look with grad school and other stuff being in different places. So grew up in Kansas, guns were normal. Lived in LA for three years in grad school, never saw or even heard it mentioned. To Colorado, just a little bit, and then back here in Kentucky when we moved here, just all over the place. I remember going into a pizza restaurant and the delivery kid came in and he just got like good a gun in a holster like on his hip went to the barber shop same thing so i've gotten used to it in the sense that I've, i'm around it more but i still just it's bizarre to me um so i think you know there's there's a lot of different stories about the history of the gun um in america you know some of the people will trace it back to you know obviously the second amendment and the revolutionary war um that, that guns have always been a part of, the, of American life. And in a sense, that's true. But I think I think they've took on more significance in recent times. Um, one thing I discussed some in the book, and again, this is disputed, but the role that, that corporations played, um, especially in the 1800s, but in the 1900s, guns became like a, they were marketed as a rite of passage for young boys. And so these interesting commercials and magazine ads that talk about it. So I think when you bring in the Christian part, there are parts of the United States, like I'm in one now, where a lot of people, they fuse a lot of different things together as a part of their identity is how they see themselves. So um, American, maybe Southern American, maybe a Southerner, uh, Christian, and that somehow guns are in the mix of all those things. And so rather than kind of evaluating well, why, why do guns have this cultural role in my life, Or not right there's they just it's just there so it's like a package deal um so yeah i'm i mean i i enjoyed hunting and shooting some when i was a kid and i haven't really done it probably for a decade now um i'd rather do other things with my free time so but it is funny with the book i've had some people contact me and say decry me as some kind of like left wing you want to abolish the second amendment and other people say obviously this this guy loves guns (laughs) i'm just like so I guess that's good if you could come out of the book thinking both those things or maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> but but yeah, it was an interesting connection, I think. And I just there's just not a lot of part of the reason I wrote the book. There's not really a lot of theological, ethical depth brought to the issue. Um, and so I would see sound bites from the NRA or from the certain the Second Amendment movement that Christians would give as like like in a slogan that was supposed to settle the argument. Of course, as a philosopher, that just drives me nuts, especially if I think it's, if it's bad, you know. So, yeah, yeah. Um, So that's kind of what got me into it. I sometimes I still can't believe I have this book out there because I'd I'd much rather write about character traits and a positive vision and virtue because I think that's what what's lacking. But yeah, I sort of I I guess I I didn't fall into it. I mean, I chose it, but yeah, it wasn't something I set out to do. I guess you know I wrote a few things online, wrote a magazine article, and actually. Uh, was approached by a publisher to consider uh, putting together a proposal. So first time that's ever happened, but um yes,
2: yeah, yeah. it's good it's a rarity. Yeah, that's so, right. I, I was um so I mean what what are some of the um if you don't mind sort of explaining so what what are some of the arguments that people would use because I have heard a lot um so like are in Florida people would defend the use uh you know second amendment to mm-hmm. defend ourselves from an, uh, an oppressive uh you know government uh, and actually, if you take away our guns, uh, then we're left defenseless, essentially. And it's part of, part of the, um, you know, the the origin story of the United States is obviously this defending themselves against us. Yes, um, uh, and you know, and um, uh, a bit about that, but also um, Christians as well. You know, what sort of what sort of arguments do Christians make for the use of firearms?
1: Yeah, to... I mean, you hear a lot of overlap. Whether people are Christians or not, so the argument about tyranny, things like that, and so I mean, I discuss it at one of the chapters of the book takes on a lot of these different sort of slogans or short arguments like that one. Um, and look, there is something to it. If I mean, it's going to be harder to go to have a tyrannical government with an armed citizenry, but then on the flip side, you know, the things that the U.S. government can do, the technology, the you know, you know, they have there are drones they have that can enter a building and you know have facial recognition and kill a person so i'm not sure if you know i'm skeptical of that and the and the argument has been people will i've had people say to me yeah the government has we should be able to have whatever the government has <laughs> so, so then you want to like play okay so tanks i've heard people say yeah even had, although this, the last person I discussed this with was an anarchist, so she had different reasons, but she thought we should be able to have nuclear weapons. And I'm like, I don't, I mean, there's someone we know that we've known since almost the time we moved here. And several years after we moved here, I found out she carried a gun, like in her purse. And I was just, I was shocked because I, I don't think she should be carrying sharp objects around. I mean, honestly, not like, just not a person <laughs> and not like, I don't mean that, is it in a, well, not derogatory, but yeah, I just, I wouldn't trust her um, with a gun. So I just think, yeah, the, the open carry stuff, but what Christians do is often they just mirror those things, right? So that they might, they might have maybe not in the extreme form, although some do, but some version of American Christian nationalism. And so they, so they'll, they'll just cite the constitution, like it's not like it's scripture, but, you know, kind of, pretty close to it or like as if the second amendment settles it. And of course, legally, depending on your interpretation, it does. But the Christians will quote, uh, I want to say it's, in, I can't remember the old Testament book. I'd have to look it up, but um, <laughs> where, where, there's a place where God tells, tells the Israelites to arm themselves for self-defense. Uh, and then people love to quote, I want to say it's Luke 22, where Jesus says, you know, sell your cloak and buy a sword. Um oh, yeah. And those are the main, and then sometimes people will talk about revelation, right? These sort of pictures of Jesus, kind of like William Wallace in Braveheart riding the horse with the sword. And of course, that doesn't really, I mean, in my view, none of those, well, the self-defense one is the best of the three from the Old Testament. But even that, you can bring a lot of questions, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. You can't just quote something from the Old Testament. Well, you can't just quote something from the Bible in general. <laughs> You've got to sort of. Explain it, you know, it's explain context
0: the, Yeah, <laughs>
1: context and interpretation and what it meant to them. And there are a lot of things that are said and well, even in the New Testament, right? We don't, most of mm-hmm. us don't like cover, you know, most, most women don't cover their heads in church like Paul talks about. So there are difficult mm-hmm. issues here. And I think, I don't know what it's like there, but for sure here, it's just easy to prove text and, and mm-hmm. especially these sort of political issues. Sometimes theological, but more often just the cultural and political ones, because that's such a heated thing in America. Um, it's a temptation to make, and we, we all
2: do it, don't we? We all are all tempted to, to, to do that. Um, the, the, the thing I was going to ask about, so you, you mentioned uh, Luke 22, isn't it, verse 35 to 38, I think. That's and, right. And, um, and it would be interesting, because I know I've been reading some of the criticism, actually, of your book by uh, Timothy Shaw. Yeah. um and um and that that was, and it, was it was a whole it was like a whole forum wasn't it of people in, interacting with with your book um I, I I'd be interested in to discuss um you know what your particular interpretation of that is yeah. um and and some of the alternative views because obviously one thing I picked up I had a little read of it earlier and obviously um there's several lots of disciples but only two swords mm-hmm. um and I and I' I understood you, uh, your sort of prophetic view of it. It would be really interesting, I think, to, to hear about how you interpret it and in, in a way that's, that's different to those who would use it to justify firearms.
1: Yeah, and it's it's one of those things where I think, for me and for others who disagree, your initial so much of your initial mindset informs how you look at it. But I remember the first time I heard it being cited as sort of justification for arming yourself, at least for self-defense, so okay, I'm going to read it, and so I read the actual just that one that paragraph it talks about buying two swords, and then he says four, right? That transitional word, and then he quotes. Oh, I've got like coronavirus brain. I could get the book down, but he <laughs> quote he quotes the passage in the Old Testament about the about the Messiah being numbered with the transgressors, right? And so to me, it was so clear from even just that paragraph that the point was to fulfill this prophecy, right? Um, that, that they would break the Roman law, right? Which being yeah. armed in my understanding, um, given who they were in that, uh, in that Roman occupied area would have, would did that, right? It wasn't legal. So, so that's my the short answer to my view, the prophetic view. Um, and I just don't, and I think broadening the context to the entire gospel, you know, later and before the gospel of Luke, right? It's hard to say he wanted them to arm themselves and then later, you know, telling Peter to put the sword away and kingdom of God doesn't advance by violence, those sorts of things. So, um, yeah, so that's that's the impression, the, the interpretation I go to. And I'd really encourage people who are interested, because really, that's the central New Testament passage people use to justify it is just to to do some study to just I mean, you, you'd have to do the hard work, I think the best thing to do is read the whole book of Luke and then, then narrow down into that passage and see how it fits within both the book and then the section of the book. And it's just really hard for me. I mean, I s like I've read obviously Tim Shao's stuff on that. And I think I've said this to him or others that if I was gonna opt for that view, I think he gives the most compelling case for it. But I just I just don't I don't think it's the best. I think this one is there's less it's the most straightforward reading, as far as I can tell, of the actual text itself. It's, yeah.
0: it's one thing to have a sword. It seems quite another thing to have like a fully
1: automatic powerful assault rifle. (laughs) Yeah, there's that too. So if people want to carry (laughs) swords around for self-defense, I mean, that's kind of weird, but okay. Um, But yeah, Yeah,
0: seeks, seeks do it to some extent, but um, yeah. yeah, if you want to take that literally, why, why suddenly a sword equates to gun? Yeah. seems like quite a logical leap. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, yeah.
2: I guess, from their perspective, it, 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 you know, offering the counter example counterpoint is actually, you know, obviously they didn't have guns, and the the equivalent in terms of defense was uh, a personal for personal combat defending yourself would be a sword. So it's not, it's not, it is. It, it, I know it seems silly, but perhaps it's not. It's not as silly uh, as, as it sounds because there's no, there's no. That is, that's the ancient equivalent. There's yeah. No, that's right. I, 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 so I imagine that I imagine that's what someone would say in response to that is that you're right. I mean, d- comparing it to a tank would be, you know, and, you know, anti-aircraft <laughs> gun or something like that uh, or a nuke is would be absurd. But I think probably the you know, if I was an American and wanted to defend my gun rights, then I would I would I would appeal to it being equivalent. Although, it, it you know, there, there are similar claims made by people like prosperity gospel, where they would say that, you know, Jesus riding on a donkey was the equivalent of a limousine or something like that, you yeah. know? So, um, which I, I, I think is absurd, but yeah. maybe maybe this one's a little bit more reasonable. How, so how would you respond to that if someone said, actually, that actually they are equivalent?
1: Yeah, I can see, so the argument is just what you said, that in that context, right, that was the kind of the, that was your personal weapon that you would use, um, protect yourself or harm others, right? Um, and so there's by analogy, at least in the American context, right? same thing. And so if i'm if I'm bringing a sword to a gunfight, so to speak, these days, right? I'm in trouble. So they, they had an equal weapons, you know, to to protect themselves. And but yeah, I so I just go back to to me, that question is interesting and important, but it's secondary because I don't even think that that's, I don't even think self-defense is the point of the passage in the first place. Um, I think it's that fulfillment of prophecy and, and yeah, and you could, I mean, there are interesting other interpretations, some that are stretched that try to read it much more symbolically. Um, um, What's the, I lost it, but, um, but yeah, I, I think that the idea that it's a, it's really hard for me to, if there were other passages um, that we could go to that maybe made it were more clear about self-defense and arming yourself, and if there was any sort of example from any kind of New Testament ethic that violence was um, permissible, then it'd be easier. But th- I think that's part of the difficulty too. Is it's it it is an enigmatic, as one person said, it's a really enigmatic passage because that's why there are four or five different major interpretations of it, right? That it is difficult what is the deal here um Hmm. but yeah just it just struck me and still does that the prophetic interpretation is better than the self-defense one
2: okay so um kind of kind of related to that so i mean one of the the things i've always thought about um the use of guns is that you know i can think of of good reasons to own a gun you know for instance i know that um a lot of, of critics of, of, of your view and, and those who just just defend uh, the use of guns for, for Christians is you know even in some kind of appealing to the virtues, virtues of of, of, of courage and things like that to actually use use guns to defend others and um, you know because I know if you look at uh, I know there's the data's a bit contentious in this but um, the data about how, how often guns are used by individuals to protect others so actually by even though I know that the US data on guns is horrendous, something, something like, what um, uh, I can't remember, like 40,000 gun-related gun, de- gun related deaths each year on average. Yeah, that's um, right. And a, I think about 60% are suicides and about 35, 40% are murders. Um, and um, obviously those rates, the rates for murders would obviously be I imagine they would argue significantly higher if we didn't have the number of guns that we had that would have stopped murders. But then the counter example would be, well, um given that 60% of suicides, if we didn't have such easy access to guns, there would be significantly fewer suicides, given that um, you know, suicides are usually um you know deeply connected to the to the method. Um so I, yeah, I don't know. So what would you How do you respond to to, to that claim?
1: Yeah, I think I'll start with the suicide issue because that's an important one. A lot of people don't realize that. And I think for people, you know, for Christians and people trying to think through gun policy in the US, that's actually, in a certain sense, it's it's an easier one to deal with, right? Because, I mean, you don't think someone who's suicidal should have access to a firearm, Um, but we don't have any sort of laws or regulations, at least not consistently, about safe storage, about trigger locks, those kind of things. So some people will say, "Look, if you're going to people, someone's going to kill themselves. They'll find a way." But as you pointed out, that's just that's not the case when you actually do the research. Um, and so, especially younger people, impulsive about that, and uh, yeah, there would there would be fewer deaths. As far as the other, I'm, yeah, that's one thing that. As a philosopher, and, and I do sort of analytic philosophy, so it's more conceptual analysis and application, and I want it to be practical at the end of the day, but the empirical stuff was difficult because, you know, you're reading outside of your area of expertise, you're depending on other people, but when you can find someone who will say there are 50,000 defensive gun uses a year, upwards to over two or three million a year, and I, I mean, I think it's on the lower side, I think there are a lot of problems with all those, with a lot of the studies that, that claim it's so high. Um, but I wanted to come at from a Christian point of view and think through, you know, what does it, what does it mean? Right. When, when you decide you're going to own a gun or carry a gun and you you take that responsibility of doing that and you're opening yourself up to, I make, I'm willing, you're saying I'm willing, even if it's just in self-defense or defend my family or friends or loved ones or someone on the street, I'm willing to kill somebody, another person made in God's image. Mm. And one thing that really stuck out to me which is it's true to me, my experience how people think about this and it seems to be true in the in this data as well is we tend to overestimate our abilities right in the, in the heat of the moment so p- people who are who train for years make mistakes in the heat of the moment with firearms and then we want somebody who's just taken a weekend class or even nothing but ap- applied for a permit to have a gun in church or in a movie theater and, and i think that's a uh, yeah, that just makes no sense to me at all. Um, mm-hmm. that, that it's that lax. So, yeah, that if I think, I mean, violent crime in the U.S. has actually since the nineteen nineties gone down. I mean, you'd think it's the opposite. Now, there's certain parts of the country, areas, re, you know, cities and regions where it's increased a lot. But there's the story that gets told by the NRA and others that you've got to arm yourself to protect your family, to provide for your family, right? And so. Um, and we buy into this, like even, I mean, some of the language is racist it's, and some of it's just stuff apart from that immoral in other ways, right? It's, it's like they're coming. And if you're not ready to protect your family, you're not, you know, doing your job as a man or as a godly man or as you know, mm-hmm. fill in the blank. And I think, I think a lot of things about masculinity and evangelical Christianity in America uh, get wrapped up in this as well. So, yeah, it's, I can't, look, I, I, in the the book, I, I don't like I'm not, I don't defend a pacifist position. Although doing the research and reading over the year and a half or so, two years I worked on the book pushed me even closer in that direction. And since then, I've done more reading. I feel like whatever space I'm at the <laughs> if pacifism is here, I'm as close as you can be without just jumping in. Right? <laughs> um, mm. And that just yeah. Comes, yeah. So so yeah. But I think there's this there's just such a well. And you mentioned culture and stuff like that, it's violence. When you start paying attention to the prevalence of violence not just in america but more like just in in pop culture and all those things it's just everywhere mm-hmm. and so it seems like well yeah of course the guy on tv his gun he saved his wife or his child so i can do the same thing and mm-hmm. i'm just i'm skeptical of that or a lot of other things how has he trained right is he freaking out at the moment you know is I mean, there's just all sorts of variables that we just tend to ignore and overestimate ourselves. So anyway, those are some thoughts that come to mind.
0: So this is totally coming from a position of someone who hasn't read the book yet. It's been on my list for a little while since Dan mentioned your name. Um, But in terms of just for anyone who's new to your name and your book, I'd be interested in, in just what angle do you take? Is it along the lines of more regulation, more training? um I'm because technically speaking you can have guns in the UK they're just you have to have qualifications and licensing I haven't actually looked into it too much myself but there is a a guns for sport in that sense so shooting clay pigeons and things is quite quite good fun but the prevalence is just not there even our police for the most part you only have specialist units that are armed so I we're quite used to regulation and it makes sense over here that could, could you just so there's a couple questions in there. What angle do you take on that? Um, are you for all right banning or where do you go? And then we'll, we'll see where that goes. There was something else yeah. in there. But we'll, yeah.
1: yeah. There's a, a pragmatic problem of doing of an outright ban in America in the sense that there are as many or more guns than the, people right now a lot of those are hmm. concentrated in the, in the hands of a very few so there it's not like gun ownership is widespread as it sounds at first blush there are plenty of people that have large numbers of guns mm-hmm. um, but the, if you boil down the I mean boil, boil down the book maybe in a sentence or two it's something like there are things that we can do to reduce gun violence while we protect the rights of responsible gun owners and that Christians especially have good reasons um, to work towards that end so so more regulation on in one sense you know that's one stream of what we should do another one is more the cultural and even just looking at our own house a little bit as as followers of christ what does it mean you know what do we think about this what what impact can this have on our character um, to carry a gun Um, have we thought about how that changes our views of things our views of other people Um, what it, what it means to, you know, in terms of, I mean, there's some arguments about weapon ownership and training that it has the potential to undermine empathy in important ways and empathy is an important sort of emotional and even cognitive trait that underlies a lot of the virtues. Yeah. Underlies really all the others that are, well, maybe even all, but for sure all the relational virtues. And so there are a lot of these questions that at least in America, we're just not asking enough. So I, I don't think there's like a law or set of laws that are just going to make the problem go away. Mm-hmm. But I think there are a set of laws that can reduce gun violence and that you've, we've got good reason to think they'll do that while still protecting people's, you know, second amendment rights as responsible gun owners on the flip side. I'd love to, I mean, it's easy to say cause I'm a professor, not a pastor, but I would love to see the, see church and the church in general talk about it more in the U S it's such mm-hmm. a divisive issue. I was talking to a pastor about a year, year and a half ago. And he tried to bring this up in his congregation. He's an NRA member, but probably has a view similar to what I give in the book. And the people in his church were just like, we're not going to talk. Like the the men's group, they just didn't want to talk about it. Don't talk about our guns. Like it's just this, it is a sacred thing in a certain way. And I think that's what bothers me the most because I just, while it's true, the world's fallen and broken and and that beating swords into plowshares. Is prophetic but it's also a description of the kingdom that we're supposed to be trying to realize now mm-hmm. right? that's, that's mm-hmm. your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven so that's the way we should be moving um, so that's yeah. the book yeah the, and so that okay, other okay, is, that other stream is look a lot of the problem I mean look if, if more people if people that are if the majority of people dying from guns or by suicide that's a huge open door for the church to invest time money mm-hmm. resources into the communities providing mental health Services. Sometimes it it could just be some pastoral counseling. It may not even be, you know, a a therapist or psychiatrist, psychologist, depending on the issue. But there's a lot to do there. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, in terms of poverty, there's just racial issues, justice issues, there's all kinds of things that feed into it. I think that's what's hard about all these crime statistics, where people want to make sort of this one to one correlation or causation. It's like all the variables and factors that lead into. Crimes or gun crimes, they can't just be boiled down to one thing. There's a ton of stuff. So, yeah. Yeah.
2: Okay. So, I was just saying another, another objection I know, I know an American friend would make is that, well, if you, if you remove all the guns, let's say that we did this, uh, greater restrictions, fewer guns available, then what you're doing then is leaving the guns in the hands of the criminal, uh, and leaving yourself. Uh, essentially defenseless or, you know, there are more barriers to you being able to access a, a gun than, than, a, than, than you, than
0: they can now. All the hands of the government. That's, that's the other yeah, threat, all, yeah, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: All the- yeah. I think, look, I just would say the argument in the book is that if, if you are responsible, um, you know, some sort of demonstrated competence and aren't other sort of, you know, like a, a haven't been convicted of a a felony or a violent crime or even a misdemeanor like stalking or things like that. I mean, I think, look, it's not an absolute right. Even the Supreme Court argued in their 2008, 2010 decisions related to the individual right to own a gun that those findings are consistent with limits and conditions. And so I think that as a society, we can make room for people who have, have somehow demonstrated that minimal responsibility and competency with a firearm that seems a fair requirement to defend yourself. So, so I wouldn't say I'm not advocating. Let's get rid of all the guns, or even make we should make it more difficult than it is. Um, but if if you're really concerned about defending yourself and your family, I can't imagine why you wouldn't want to get some specialized training. Otherwise, there's a good chance. I mean, look, the statistics show if you have a gun in the home. Most likely victim of a gunshot wound or death is a member of that home in that household. Right, it's not a criminal, so or a home invader or something like that. So, so I would say you you want to protect your family. Great, become skilled enough to do it so that um, you can do it. Effect, you know, at least more effectively than than not. I mean,
2: over here in the, especially in London, where I am, we have um, you know knife crime is is uh, a real a real issue. I mean, the logic of the argument would be, well, I should I should have a knife. But, the, but all I can imagine is, well, you can see how that would worsen the situation in many ways, because then it, when I'm involved in an altercation, I have a knife, which means I'm probably more like, you know, in terms of, you know, most, uh, you know, incidents like that are opportunistic. You know, I don't, you know, someone doesn't go out looking necessarily to go and stab someone, but... A result in an altercation. They have a knife, and it's more likely to be used because you have you have it on your person rather than not. So I can see it in the same way, and you know, it makes sense. Same for guns as well. If you if you're having one, you're obviously much more likely to to, to be able to use one because of how easy accessible it is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's um, it's interesting. I mean, the, the suicide going back to the suicide one, I think it's it's such a it's such an important point. Like, are people just not aware of of the 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 data around that how many you know how many thousands of was it must be like twenty five thousand yeah. gun suicides each year. That's um nice. yeah. in just in the United States. I mean, so let's say only half would be stopped. You know, it's twelve and a half thousand deaths. Um, and like we said, because because suicides coupled with the the method, once you've removed the guns, it's unlikely those people would actually commit suicide. So, I mean, is it so, people just gone?
0: Yeah. Sorry, just on that note, just there's recent, I don't know if you saw it in the news, recent things of uh, teenagers who've, who've shot themselves in front of the Zoom call and, and things like that. Um, and that seems to me one of the obvious cases for restricting gun. But I mean, you've also got the, it comes up every time there's a mass shooting of some sort. It I, It just baffles me that there is usually a cry for gun restriction at, at each time it happens, but there is as as quick and as solid a wall to block that move, and say no, it's just just this one person, um, and it, it seems like that's the the defense for every time a gun is misused or someone has killed themselves. It's just a bad egg, um, that individual responsibility that seems to be very much, and we're, we're quite individualist in the UK, but it seems to be such a strong individual responsibility that again is a, a no go zone for conversation within Christianity in the U S of it's that one person's fault should not impact my rights to own a gun. Um, and, and I'm not sure, if if your, your book explores that, if that's been explored, but the sort of individualist culture of ha- how dare that one impact me, despite the fact that the rules that I'm appealing to have allowed that to happen. Um, so I won't take responsibility for the collective th- rule that I'm defending, <laughs> but, yeah. but, but I also won't let that individual affect is, is that something that you've engaged with?
1: A little bit. I mean, I think when... I mean, people just—that's part of what irritated me, I guess, and still does. Mm-hmm. That's where slogans come in. It's like it's not the guns' fault. So I've had someone say, "Well, going back to the knife—if it's not, you know, take away guns, people kill each other with knives. Ban knives. They'll—they'll they'll use rocks like Cain and Abel. Mm-hmm. And or what are you going to do? Ban, <laughs> ban rocks? And so then I just yeah. I, no, oh. but you know, um, I'm not even arguing to ban guns, right? But I, I think mm. that look, this—this this is where the the Structure of the of what a gun is matters. So, I mentioned this in the book when there was this the school shooting in Newtown, Connecticut, uh, several years ago. On that same day, there was a knife attack in China, like at a school. And of course, I'm trying to remember the number. I mean, over 20 kids and other uh, professionals in that school building were killed. Nobody died in the knife attack in China because, but you know, a gun's much more deadly, right? Um, an AR-15, I've been told by a friend of mine who was a paratrooper, you wouldn't want to take that weapon into combat. But for some reason, it keeps showing up in these mass shootings. It's a way to shoot a lot of people um, fairly quickly. And so, yeah, I think there is that individual responsibility. It's like we can't blame the implement at all. So you, all kinds of weird. Mm-hmm. It's not the gun's fault, you know. Just like, you know, people can drive their cars and kill people. Are we going to ban cars? Mm -hmm. And so there's just, Mm -hmm. those are the sort of arguments and there's not a a deeper sort of, well, what are the things we can do? We actually do have a lot of regulations around cars and what kind of car you can have. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You've got to to at least pass a minimally (laughs) challenging written test once and a driver's Mm -hmm. test once, you know, so... Yeah. um so yeah people just there I think a lot of it is that individualism and I discuss it a little bit in the book but we just have to that's it's the it's a curse of American sort of the way that culturally not all of course but many people in the in the United States think is purely individualistic right yeah. so someone can say well look i I pulled my a poor person can say I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps and was able to get mm-hmm. into college and have a career I'm like that's good but that doesn't mean that other people don't have a more difficult time, or maybe there are some advantages you had they didn't, or maybe they just, you know. I mean, so I think it's just too easy for us to focus on us and our little small inner circle and don't realize that American dream.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right.
1: The independent, yeah. and and yeah, I don't know if a book that I just recently finished called um, "Jesus and John Wayne," uh, written hmm. by a, a professor at Calvin University. Um, it really explores a lot of the sort of masculinity and individualism and how, and at least in American evangelical context, those things got combined with all the arguments about gender and, and how like gender issues became so central to American evangelicalism since the 60s. So, yeah, I just think there's so much stuff that's wrapped up in this. And if somebody mm-hmm. says, yeah, I just uh, set aside Americans just as Christians, one of the ways that we can be, Whatever that countercultural means in, in in the United States is to have a much more communal view about who we are and, and our responsibilities, and that that my good is bound up with the good of others, my next door neighbor, people in my church. We don't want that, right? And it was for several years ago. I, one of my pastors, he's moved on, but he said something like, "You know, your spiritual growth depends upon other people." and I had the initial like, well, I don't want that. I don't want to, you know, because if I do this stuff, read my Bible, do these classic spiritual disciplines, fast, pray, sol- silence and solitude. But but you actually read the New Testament. It's like, oh, yeah, if, if we need each other. And Americans don't like that, right? We want mm-hmm. to be in, independent. And so we yeah. believe in this, in this myth <laughs> that we can do it on our own
0: it's really interesting that you mentioned that the the bible project um if you've come across them have just started a a podcast series on the global family um of of god which is running through the theme from genesis to revelation of of the nations and and what it means so yeah very much a, a timely discussion for for them to bring in and, and hopefully people start taking that on board there's there's a question in the chat i think we can take the, this one as as a guns thing but I'm, I'm interested to kind of move towards obviously there's political overlap with the um with the gun debate i'm interested to take some some, some of those the conversation that way um but uh santi who's got a channel finding truth what what does he think Uh, What do you think, Mike, uh, about the argument that in areas where people have more legally owned guns, gun violence is significantly lower? There's another he he clarifies he's not sure if that is actually a true statistic, but he's saying that's an argument that he's heard. Have you engaged with that?
1: Uh, Not that specifically, but there is a an argument that that they try to correlate crime rates with open like states that have. I've forgotten, basically open carry, all right, where you can, you, minimal requirements and the, the crime rates are lower there. Um, but then people argue about the nature of those studies. And so I think, look, I'll just, I'm trying to be uh, more humble since I wrote a book about humility. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and you know, it's, Jesus was humble and everything, so that's good uh, for us to try. But I think the, the from reading the people that argue about this stuff back and forth statistical analysis and, and these complex systems, I'm skeptical, I guess I'll say of the people's work that that have said that kind of thing. So John, John Lott is one of the major ones in the U S and there's back and forth about his work. Um, but he and one or two other people are sort of the, it doesn't mean that they're wrong, but they're like a few academic people that are more on the permissive, you know, Everybody can be not have any restrictions or very few restrictions, if any, on who can own a gun and those sorts of things. And, and that work has, seems to be kind of suspect by most. There's a lot that we don't know for sure. Um, my understanding, though, is that, that that's not the case. Um, or at least if it is the case, it hasn't been clearly shown to be the case yet. But right.
2: Could I, can I just ask one more thing
0: about guns, Phil, before we move on? Wait, to yeah, no, it's up. fine. Just Yeah, that's no, cool. I, I just don't have... mean to be prescriptive. No, 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 <laughs> just no, no just, I
2: just, um, it just came to me. I was thinking that um, one of the things, obviously, the US is, at least over here, you know, I think, I think because um, I, I have a lot of American friends, I think my, on both sides of the sort of political spectrum, my, my view is probably a little bit more mediated than, than, than others. If I just read the press uh, over here about, you know, the American issue with gun, uh, cop—you know, uh, you know, cops killing people and, and and all sorts of things. But the, the thing that's always seemed most obvious to me is how, um, because of how permissive uh, and pervasive um, gun ownership, gun, gun ownership in is in the U.S. That unless something changes from the status quo, you're always going to have hundreds, or if not, I think it was what a thousand. Deaths a year at the hands of uh, well um, people being killed by by um, by cops each year throughout, throughout the U.S. But because the undercurrent must be horrible being a police officer in the U.S. Because the undercurrent is that every engagement you're having with another human being is predicated uh, under the, the, in the under the possibility that they are armed. So every time you pull yeah. over, that's a lot of people over here don't appreciate that. I think that that. That fear and how that affects, humanity. you know, if me and you, if I was talking to someone on the street and I was talking to someone with a gun, I could see they had a gun. Or they even possibly have a gun. That can't help but impact the interaction at some level. And I think, you know, when you're pulling over someone who's particularly, you know, might have a, um, you know, might be a, a, a criminal or, some, you know, someone's going to be aggravated because they've been pulled over, you know, that it, there's already, the relationship is already tense. It's already a tense relationship. And then you've added to that 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 the police officer's got a gun and the person they're pulling over might have a gun. I mean, that just seems like a recipe for disaster. In fact, when I look at the data, I'm I'm always shocked there's not more. Like, I actually think, (laughs) given, honestly, I look at the thing, I think like a thousand, I think, yeah, that's a lot. But I'm surprised it's not more. Um, I don't know what you you think about that and how, I mean, that just seems like, it's like the suicide and that just seem. I just think, just get,
1: just seems like the case. I think that's the, the difficulty and I think you're right and that it's not just that situational. That probably, you know, it's easy, you know, I have a good friend who's a law enforcement officer and I think we've talked about this stuff a little bit but yeah, I just, I wouldn't want to do it because it just, I just, yeah, and people that do, I respect and I think you're right, the tension but I think that, for me, that's that's one example of why, what there should, we don't, I think fewer guns, all else being equal are better than having more in a society so this think and there's good evidence about how uh c- correlation between domestic violence and a gun in the home and both because the guns you know can get used or even just violence can escalate right so there's a lot of interesting connections between these things so yeah i think that's right um and i think you know it's, it's sort of talking to him actually scared me for you know, when I would like not of guns, but in other ways, like of driving home at midnight, he's like, Yeah, if you're driving that late at night, probably most of the people you're around are driving intoxicated. I'm like, well, that's kind of scary because in Kentucky, there are a lot of these little small two lane roads. So, mm-hmm. there, that's even that. But like you said, take that and just make it every time you interact with somebody else, both you're armed, you think they could, I mean, you have to think that you have to think they could be armed. Prevalence yeah. of guns, and especially where we are, they're even more prevalent um than other parts of the state so yeah there's i mean that's just what weapons do um and yeah. so as christians we've got to think about that they're not neutral i think that's what bothers me the most it's like well gun knife rock well they're yeah you can use all three of those things to co- kill people but one of them's designed and much more efficient at it than the other two
2: yeah definitely and the same for suicide you know that's why yeah. mm-hmm. um, you know the method i think something like um in ninety eight percent of overdoses are unsuccessful in the suicide attempts, whereas if you shoot yourself with a gun um, you 're highly likely to, to to be effective in in that suicide attempt, which is why it tends to be i think it, it tends to be the male choice of suicide tends to be guns the things that are much more likely to be to be a, be effective mm. um, but i I just, I just think it's uh, it's, it's mm. sad that that's not known widely enough yeah. um and especially for christians to think you know well actually you know if we just got rid of our you know had slightly more stringent you know restrictions and things on on, on gun ownership that we could reduce that by several thousand possibly
1: yeah yeah and I, th- I think that's that's another example where the the debate is so frustrating because i've had people say well look if somebody wants to kill themselves they'll just find another way but it's just not true but, not then, true. but then people just ignore it and move on kind of like uh everything in our political debates these days right you can provide counter evidence counter argument uh and it doesn't matter um, just ignore it and dig in
2: that was an excellent segue there i like yeah. that mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah, it wasn't on purpose but as i said it i thought oh yeah
0: <laughs> he's done this before yeah right. so so i'm moving towards that then um so th- there's a lot of stuff happening in America right now that that is quite, it, it, in one sense it's, it's fascinating, in one sense it's really sad, and in one sense I'm concerned that it's infiltrating the UK church as well. Um, it's quite a complex issue, but you shared a post recently on your, your profile that I thought was fascinating, just re- reflecting on the recent Eric Metaxas um, comments on donald trump that donald trump has won in a landslide um that this is an attempt to steal the vote that everyone who's done is part of this attempt should be in prison um and the the quote here this is the most horrible thing that has ever happened in the history of our nation which (laughs) is bizarre if for one (laughs)
2: <laughs> what, what has happened to eric metaxas right? because <laughs> yeah. I, I, as a fellow brother in cry, i don't want to be like he's mad right but it does mm-hmm. seem like that like he wrote he wrote bonhoeffer you know which is a great but i know there's some issues with it it's a bit uh, you know his sort of american evangelical lens of, yeah. of, of, mm. of, of of bonhoeffer but it's still an excellent book like a, it's the only book to this date that's made me cry you know, reading those yeah. the love the love letters between his yeah. uh between Bonhoeffer and his um, um, and and that and doesn't quite easy. I don't. I, I you... never cry. That's, that's that. That comes up in a, a
0: previous conversation.
2: that that's why I've always that book is quite special to me because it's it's the only one that broke me. Uh, and to think, like I read like his comments, the stuff that he's saying, and and some of the stuff he's involved in, and it's just it just seems it just seems bonkers.
1: Yeah, um, really it that and elsewhere i mean he just it really is troubling and especially since well really kind of right before trump was elected in the run-up and then it seems to spiral more in the past few years and he was at our campus right soon after that book was out i gave a talk and so i'm me and about 15 other faculty we've met and talked to him and i talked to him a little bit and was over impressed overall and kind of followed him and yeah i think there are some serious questions about accuracy with that book, but there's some things about that book too, for sure. But yeah, I just don't, I mean, this guy used to like run a thing called Socrates in the city and and now he's doing this and it's just, and I had a a friend of mine kind of believes some of this stuff and telling me some news outlets and that I have, I looked at any of the interviews of people in Michigan who are claiming, you know, signing affidavits about X, Y, and Z. And so I, maybe this is, The bio, well, my social media feeds are all over the map given my history, Mm -hmm. but the ones I saw are just terrible. And they make, you know, there's the ones going around right now. The woman appears to be drunk, um, testifying in Michigan someplace about how all the votes on the polling book are, they're all, none of them are true. I mean, just sort of outlandish claims. And I just go back to last time I checked out of 31 or 32 cases that have been brought, only one of them were found in the favor of Trump's campaign. And it didn't make any difference, obviously, in the overall. Uh, A result, so it is weird, and Metaxas just—I don't know if there's. I mean, seriously, if he's got emotional issues or psychological issues, or if he's found like a—he's kind of dug himself this online niche where you Mm -hmm. can—you know, these these days you just have a what do they say—a thousand committed followers, so to speak—that'll buy your Mm -hmm. stuff. And so, who knows? But it's it's just—it's not—it's bad stuff, and it—and to to claim that. To invoke Jesus in it, regardless mm. of whether it's true or not, is what it's just really troubling to me. Um, yeah. To people, it, listen it is that? it is that
0: claim. So he, he does say Jesus is with us in this fight. Uh, yeah, and that's. <laughs> and
1: that he's, it's, and it's, that he's willing oh, to yeah. die for it. That's what he said yeah. too. He's gonna, I'll, yeah. I'll die for this fight, President Trump. <laughs> yeah.
0: So so it, I'm I'm seeing with some of the Americans I've interacted with, I'm seeing these these claims that um, it's obviously electoral fraud, like it, it's not even, it might be, it's obviously, I'm seeing claims of, well, it's the assumption that I don't read widely, <laughs> which I find quite interesting anyway. Some, it's, it's that kind of label, do your research, because I've done mine. It's, so, well, where? Give me some links. Yeah. And Generally, there aren't any links that come back um, of any value if, if they come back at all, um, I had one comment just, just before coming on here that was very much like, I don't have enough time to write down all the things that show the evidence for, for why this election is so corrupt. How dumb I feel I you know? know I'm, I must be, I feel like I'm missing something, <laughs> but, but when I look for it, I, I, I mean, I probably am biased. I don't think I'm that left. I don't think I'm that right. I'm I'm pretty s- as centrist as, as they come if we're talking labels. So I, I, yeah, so it's very much this idea of the media is the problem, except the media that I watch yeah. <laughs> and agree well, with. The media are rubbish
2: and, and yeah. you know, completely. Well, there is that, man. but what, what and, is the and, media? But, but, well, that, I mean, the, the media itself, I mean, you know, um i think most people don't get their their information from traditional media outlets mm-hmm. and, and anymore um yeah and it's um they don't do themselves any any favors um you know on on on, on both sides but it's um yeah i mean it, it would be interesting if 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 there was really you know solid evidence that there was large-scale voter fraud. i mean you're always going to have some degree of voter for like, you know was it like 0.09 percent you know it's insignificant um and and i think it's largely you know around you know could be around that number it's going to play no part i mean biden won by so many votes just because i like donald trump is hated so much that people who have probably never thought about voting uh just got up to vote and Mm. and and the thing is it's it's it wouldn't even matter, I think, whether his you know, policies, whether they were good or bad. It's just him as a person. People don't like him. And that's why, you know, there's always these interesting mm-hmm. things. But I don't know if you've seen them where, you know, people go into a college campus and they'll, they'll interview someone. I remember watching one with Obama and, and so, and they'd be like, they'd tell them, oh, this is this is your person's policies. What do you think about? Oh, they're great. You know, I love Obama. Yeah. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. I mean, that's the reason I'm voting for him. And they'd be like, oh, well, that's Bush's. Yeah. yeah and they're, like, they're yeah. like oh well um i have to That's give some thought to this yeah and then they and then they go to like a bush voter and then they do the same with obama and stuff like that so though, it's almost like the policies are irrelevant really right um uh, mm-hmm. it's just it's more about the person you know and like we spoke a bit before we, we 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 came live about obama you know obama is the quintessential president you know it wouldn't really matter what he does I mean, if we ignore the the drone strikes and and all the things he actually <laughs> if you look at him on paper wasn't didn't do a great deal but but he was but he mm. he did the part he met all the criteria of the expectations for the um for the for the president whereas trump is just he doesn't meet any of the criteria i mean he's he's a mm. human yeah. um but but um i don't know what he it, yeah i
1: I just yeah. it'd have, have to be what,
2: what I'm saying, the, the question is, it, it, it would have to be it would have to be major fraud, like obvious fraud. Because the thing is, like the stuff I'm seeing, the same as you, feel, is like these little things, maybe this happened and someone's saying this, but it would have to be on such a scale because he won by so many that it would be obvious, like we would have found something really obvious. And there there isn't being. and I've been trying to like, well, yeah, if if there was a large scale vote fraud, then Cool, let's find it and let's let's make sure the right person wins um mm-hmm. but but it's but it's but it's not obvious so i just yeah. think it's probably unlikely to be voted for I don't so, know.
1: well and i took yeah. my a friend of mine and i think was said you know pointed me to listen to some of the testimony and people who are signing affidavits and so i i went to metaxas's that video and then he's got some something where he's got some, he had some guy come on to provide the evidence and I couldn't even make it through more than a couple of minutes cause it was so mm-hmm. outlandish. And so he started talking, there's this other view that or theory that might be generous, but that, you know, <laughs> that the Democrats are controlling dominion, the computer company that did mm-hmm. some of the ballots. And, and so it, the analogy this guy was drawing, is just like when you go to Vegas, right? The, the house, the odds are stacked to the house. And so just like the casino owners control the, gambling machines the democrats are in control of voting machines. <laughs> it's like, sorry that's yeah, okay so i'm just but i don't like i have the same thing I've, i try to look at some evidence i you know I, I am biased in the sense because i was when trump was a candidate um i use what minimal platforms i have to be you know pretty strongly that this is a bad idea i've kept that up and um as a Christian, I was shocked. I mean, like many Americans back, you know, character matters, character matters. Oh, character doesn't matter. He's not a, he's not a pastor. He's our president. Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Like, yeah, but sometimes, I mean, (laughs) yeah, the character issue is always central for me. Um, Mm -hmm. No matter, forget about the policies and I have problems with a lot of policies as well, but this person has incredible power. So I don't know what the stuff about the election. Yeah. I mean, I have, enough faith. I mean, now the claim is they're, you know, Trump tweets, they're not letting us provide evidence, but Mm. you're in a court of law. Your lawyers are there. (laughs) You got evidence. Just, where is it? yeah, Yeah. uh, it's, it's pretty frustrating.
2: I think it's, I'll go on Phil.
0: Yeah, no, I'm just, just trying to figure out a way. So we're all kind of in agreement. There's a, a big problem with, with these, facts or alternative facts or conspiracy or whatever word you want to use as charitably as possible and we've, we've all interacted with with christians who are absolutely persuaded that trump should be a, a, the president and anyone who says otherwise isn't a true believer <laughs> maybe, maybe well certain pastors have said that yeah um so as Christians interacting with other Christians, like and you've got a little bit more of a platform, <laughs> a significant more platform than us, Mike, with your, with your book and your engagement, you've, you've interacted with character and that's part of your, um, part of your thing beyond guns. Yeah. How, what, what do you recommend pastors, Christians do? How How do we engage with this without it becoming an us versus them? A question of salvation—is it down to how we read Revelation? Is some of this article insinuated, like the Left Behind series, is left us with a bunch of people with no doctrine and some fanciful ideas? Um, what's your what's your take on like steps forward for for the church?
1: Yeah, I think yeah, I think it, that's really difficult, and actually interacted some with my pastor about this the past couple of days. But I think we just I don't know what it's like there, but I think the anti-intellectualism, and intellectualism you know, the mind's not gonna be the savior of culture, but it's a necessary prerequisite for um, positive change, right? You've gotta know what's true and have some wisdom, both individually and socially, to try to, you know, foster the good, the common good. But I, th- I think our our society's anti-intellectual, um, it's much more, what's it? Talk talked about sensate cultures, sort of emotion driven. And, and I'm not an anti-emotion kind of person in terms, I think they play an important role in our judgments. They actually are forms of judgments, but but we just, we're appealed to emotionally so much. And, you know, pastor, it's on Twitter. He mentioned this. So it's hard as a pastor to compete um, with, you know, clickbait and all the stuff that's out there, right? Because the thinking through something takes time, takes effort. It's frustrating. Um, That's part of. So, but I guess we just have to like start at the ground zero and say, you know, it's it's God is the one who said, "Come, let us reason together," right? Yahweh Mm -hmm. said that, and so we've got this capacity to reason. We don't all have to be have PhDs in philosophy or be philosophers or theologians, although we all are in a sense. We are those things, right? Because we we think about those kind of issues. I would I think in our churches we need to start there and that what does it mean to, you know, love God, heart, soul, mind, and strength? Well, mind is in there. So what does it mean to love God with your mind? Well, one thing it means is to, I would argue, um, work at cultivating in community because that's how it's done. um, Some of the intellectual virtues, you know, open-mindedness, humility, precision. Mm -hmm. Um, Not skepticism because I don't think that's right, but like a, a rigorous... Yeah, logic, All right, R- rules of inference, those kind of things. What are some basic logical fallacies to avoid? Because uh, those are all over the place. And then mm-hmm. even in, for those that are interested, even in churches, having a Sunday school class where maybe you actually, it's more like a seminary class where you write a paper or two and get graded, mm-hmm. right, where it's actually more demanding. Not everybody's cup of tea for sure, but I think mm-hmm. there are people out there that would would love that and respond to it. Pastors need to and mine does a good job of this i told him exemplify right being concerned about these kind of things Mm -hmm. um but we just have to we've got uh, yeah but at at the fundamental level man it really is a lot of humility and love because that's what's going to help us a love for if you you know if you love the truth for us the truth is a person right it's a triune god Mm -hmm. and so If all truth is God's truth, then it's not just truth from the Bible, but what's true about politics, about political theory, about biology, about, you know, everything. And so I I don't know, I wish I had the answer, but I think there's a lot of things like that to do. And we just have to push back against, you know, we're coming in the United States out of, you know, in the 90s and early 2000s and maybe beyond that, a lot of the seeker-sensitive stuff, which had some good things about it, Mm -hmm. but some of the bad things was it it sort of was like a consumer-driven an entertainment version of church um, happened in some places, but just I think it couples too with especially evangelicals, and this, I've noticed that especially in this part of the country, the focus is much more on getting somebody to you know, become a Christian or, you know, as they still say around here, say the sinner's prayer or whatever it is, mm-hmm. but we're not discipling people in the life of Christ, which includes the mind, other things. Um, mm mm-hmm. So there's just a lot to do, but we have to, look, Jesus was smart. And so, you know, people like to say, well, Jesus picked, you know, his disciples were like fishermen and they were sort of manual laborers. And that's true. But then he went and got Paul to, you know, write half the New Testament or whatever. So mm-hmm. so we all have a role to play, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, even I
0: mean, Peter was must have been fairly engaged with his letters and reasoning. So. Yeah,
1: that's right. Yeah. You don't have to be like an intellectual just to when we all use logic and inferences in our daily life. And I think it's just learning what those things are and learning to recognize the bad patterns of reasoning and look, realizing, I mean, I'm not realizing we do have bias and and prejudice and emotion that that clouds our ability to think. And that's in my, in the guns book, because I probably lean more, more towards the, yeah, towards change, I had to constantly just have this check on myself. Am I being fair? Am I being fair, that, you know, to people who want no restrictions? And, I mean, I doubt that I was every, I mean, I don't know where I wasn't, but, you know, it's a struggle. Mm-hmm. And I think we don't want to do that, right? We don't, we don't want to call things into question.
2: It, it's, it's interesting how, um, sort of zoom out a, a, a little bit about just, just the influence that the U.S. politics and, you um, know, social justice issues and things like that affect us so you won't know but you know but being in the UK like we really are just so affected and interested in what's going on in the US but what sort of and especially politically I think the you know the democrat republican we've we've tried to that whole that whole um conflict we've tried to recreate over here we've got the conservative party and the labor party we we try and do it but it's never it's never quite as bombastic and, and and is interesting um and the same with sort of um you know the gun violence and things like that so we have you know big protests about um you know um violence from police officers against people but you know you guys have like a thousand i think last year we had three and one of them was a terrorist on london bridge so you know that really isn't not we're not on 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 par um, with with you guys. Why? No. Um, like, especially American, sorry, American Christianity as well. Like why? Why does? I've i sort of lost my train of thought on my question. Now. What am I going to ask? <laughs> this is what i <laughs> I don't know what my question was. <laughs> the end of the yeah. day. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, know, I don't right. know what my question was. I, was. I was trying to aim somewhere about about the divisiveness between uh, sort of building on what you've already said about how you yeah, know it you have two people who are christians and what it seems like is that the the what's the most important thing is not christ and the gospel and, and it, it's the fact that they have different political beliefs yeah. and and it just makes like over here it makes me not want to get involved politically as a christian and i've also seen myself becoming more like the quakers like i just don't want to vote i don't it feels it feels Mm. tainted like because both parties are are moving away from from my perspective i think like as a christian like it's harder to vote for any party Mm -hmm. and um you know i've really found myself thinking you know know what i just i don't want to vote i I feel sort of so i'm interested in your thoughts about christians and and voting and and things like that i know big issue over there but same for us over here as well like it um it just feels i want to become actually i want to disengage politically as a christian because i feel like i don't have i can't vote for anyone or or or. or, i don't does that that's kind of
1: yeah no that makes sense i've i mean it's probably not a coincidence the past year or so become much more interested in sort of anabaptist yeah 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 and done a little reading and it's like there's something to that, but then I just I'm not built that way Like, and Manel shut up for a while about it and really I wasn't that politically in, engaged until this because I was just so I don't know if shocked is the right word, but just sort of the what came out with like evangelical support white evangelical support for Trump and those things, so that's definitely a temptation I think yeah I mean i I don't know what to do or say about it i think that as you know it, as followers of christ we want to work towards towards a just state right A you know the common good and we're going to have disagreements about that but yeah it is really troubling to me it's, you know so i'll give a good example or a bad example than a good one so the bad example was so several years ago at a different church we were a part of um, in the past and a, another guy and i were talking he's a little younger than me about politics and I'd mentioned that I've, you know, who I voted for. I mean, I've been a Democrat, Republican, and independent. I'm independent right <laughs> now, and hopefully I'll just stay there. I mean, I voted for, <laughs> you know, the different parties, both presidentially and locally. I, several years ago, I voted for the Democrat for governor because the Republican, who was like a Trump Jr. here. Um, he was in, and now he's out. But but when I said that I'd, I'd voted for, you know, the Democrat in that election, I mean, to me, the reaction was like, I'd said, ah, the Bible, I'm not, you know, it's kind of a bunch of myths. I mean, it was, it felt like it was that significant and that's just terrible, right? We, we should have a, at least a general view about, you know, a good flourishing society and and sort of the, the political landscape and have, yeah, we're going to have differences and different ideas about how to get there. But I feel, but yeah, I on, and this goes back even to the gun stuff and stuff we talked about earlier, those, that political identity is so, Used with um, faith here, and, and there are plenty of people want, that want to capitalize on that, or try to put fear in people's minds about the other side. You know, this happens on both, you know, liberal and conservative. And yeah, it really is troubling that, that Christians that, that politics mm. would divide us. Now, some kind of politics should divide us, right? So if it's mm-hmm. eighteen sixty and one political party's for slavery and one's against it, that should divide us. <laughs> but but whether you know, levels of taxation. That, I mean, should that really be like the, you know, or big government, small government, those, yeah, we can have differences of opinion about that stuff and even hold convictions, but, and so mm-hmm. the good side, you know, we were, a, you know, we've been part of a lot of churches here because the ones we go to go out of existence, whatever that means, but um,
0: there's another one where
1: there's one guy in the church really, like really conservative, you know, military kind of really conservative politics another guy in our church that was a leader actually like he was a political consultant for democrats so he like knew bill and hillary clinton and would run his job was basically to run political campaigns for democrats in the state they got along and Mm. i I didn't even know that they had those differences until i was talking to somebody one time so it is possible (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. but it's rare
2: so so what i mean a lot of um a lot of my American friends. A lot of my academic writing is sort of on the abortion issue and 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 things. And and so I've got a lot of American um, sort of philosophy friends who um, have a, a sort of seem to have a dislike for for both parties. But the the main issue is is abortion. It comes down to the fact that you know the Republican. I mean, it's seen as voting for Republicans is you're you're you know you're more likely to be working towards um, you know. That fewer abortion. Essentially, the argument is that if you vote if Republicans are in, there will be fewer total abortions and an increased likelihood of you know uh, different states and and you know i I was a bit confused about how the political system works there about Roe v Wade and things and but um whereas if you vote for Democrat, you're seen as the party of abortion, the party that if you vote for, they're going to liberalize all the uh, you know state and you know legislation and things like that, uh, and there will be more abortions. So that tends to be what it's reduced to. Um, I don't know what you, you think about single issue voting and things. So that that's, that's something that I find like, if that was, mm. and that is a massive issue for me, I mean, if, uh, unfortunately over here, it wouldn't matter what party I voted for is because no. no one's doing anything about abortion. Yeah. So you have mm. to find something else to, to make your single issue if you're going to vote that way. But um, yeah, I don't know what you, you think about sort of single issue voting. and.
1: Yeah. If I can understand that, for sure, to a degree, and I've got you know people who are, who are like I mean, philosophers, other academics, and, and that's you know they sort of proverbial held their nose and voted for Trump for really that reason primarily. I guess my own view is that ideally you want the law to reflect morality for sure, but mm-hmm. but yeah, this is a difficult case. And from my understanding, like actually, abortion rates are the actual rate of abortions tend to be lower, um, during democratic presidencies. And when some of their, because think of the policies, some of the democratic policies that geared geared more towards more social support. So there's more access to food, healthcare, people who Mm -hmm. are poor. So maybe, you know, a young single mother, um, maybe feels like if she wants to have the child, there'll be enough support to do that. And so people make that argument and I've just become really skeptical of the way the Republican party works because this has been since as long as I can remember. So in the eighties, when I pay, started paying attention more to politics, pro-life, pro-life, pro-life at every level. Mm-hmm. Um, but look, what it's been 40 years. It's not really a lot has changed. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, Supreme court could change it. That's that for sure could happen. Um, but you know, there are things like, like Trump, they could have cut, Planned Parenthood's budget. They didn't, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so th- so sometimes I feel like it's a, if if Republicans didn't have that, they'd lose a pretty important chip um, in the mm-hmm. game for a lot of voters. And so sometimes I've, I just feel, I wonder if people are getting played. Um, and I think they have been for sure. And I think, and there have been some, you know, there's stuff kind of leaks out about people talking about it. But the other thing is, For me, like with Trump, I understand someone that would vote that way, but I, but gosh, I was just worried about things he can do that cause a lot more deaths. Um, Mm. So you get into this this tricky thing where, and look, whatever you think, I, for one, I'm not going to blame Trump for the deaths of the coronavirus, but I think him and some others share some responsibility in how bad it's gone in our country. There are things they could have done at the start that would have made a difference, like Putting in the Defense, National Defense Act and making tons of testing, right? So we could have we could limit the spread by a lot more testing, a lot earlier. I don't want to get into all that, but so mm-hmm. yeah, this English. I mean, here's the struggle: is that I think that fetus, you know, the way philosophers talk, the abortion of debate, just unborn fetus, right? So, unborn child. I think they. I think they're fully human. I think they have the right to life. So I so that so I have that sort of belief. It's really based more on philosophical arguments, not so much scripture. Um, although you know they're definitely being made in God's image, or things you can bring in. But on the flip side, I, I would rather this is a case in where I would rather have if I if my choice is abortion abortion be illegal and have higher numbers of it. Or it be legal and lower. I'd rather I'd rather just have actual more people, not you know, fewer abortions happen uh, for whatever reason. And I think the way and that's the other thing. I'm not. I'm a little skeptical of the amount of change that would happen. I'm sure it would reduce the number of abortions each year. But it, let's say that Roe v. Wade gets wiped out or repealed. That just now it's up to mm-hmm. every state. So Kentucky might end up being pro-life state. Um, Ohio's not go to Ohio to get an abortion. Yeah, it's more difficult. Um,
2: yeah i mean the the, the the there's been some recent data on the states that restricted abortions uh showed that there was a significant reduction in the total per capita abortions
1: yeah i think so I saw so, that.
2: So, so you know there is some, and, and and again i mean it's like with the issues of italy you know there's Italy has really high rates of conscientious objection so a lot of people have to if, if someone wants an abortion they usually have to travel to a different region um, but you, you find lower, lower abortion rates still. And I imagine it would be basically whenever you put a barrier in, some, in front of someone, um, there, you know, some proportion of those people are less likely to, um, you know, to try and overcome that, that barrier to, to achieve the end that they want. Um, but yeah, no, it, 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 you're right though. It's, it's, um, it, it's, it's, interesting, but I think that's the most persuasive reason I can come for, I am sort of think of why a lot of people vote for for republicans is that they just see it as that party of life and then the, I, I just see the democrats you know they're literally described as the party of death
1: yeah um yeah, you I'll know that.
2: and and that i mean that just strikes me as just totally uncharitable um even if even if our approach but to call someone like the party of death like to 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 approach dialogue with someone who thinks differently is you well this is the party of death the party of you know the, the it, it, it's just I don't know how you can ever how you can ever have fruitful dialogue and discourse and really try to understand someone when you paint someone in the most negative horrific light yeah um mm-hmm. yeah it's just it's just scary I just find like with with, with Trump I mean policies aside he's just so div- divisive and mm-hmm. you have you can't I, I think what's so strange about the U.S. is well, there are lots of things I, I will find. That that lots <laughs> lots, lots of things I love one. about. Lots, lots <laughs> of things I love about the US as well. I love. I love the US. I love visiting my friends in Florida. But you know, out of over three hundred million people, the best that you—not you, you specifically, American people in general—you came up with is with a dodgery old dude who likes to kiss people's necks and is a bit. I find a bit odd. Yeah. And then, and then, and then is Trump. This, this little, this Loompa who is, is just. <laughs> Who's um, he, 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 just so divisive, and yet I have to say, even like Trump, under Trump's, he's done some great stuff. Like there's some stuff like with sex trafficking and some some mm. really amazing stuff that gets lost because he's so divisive. If he was just, if he just didn't speak, you know, or something, or didn't go on Twitter, like a lot, he's done a lot of really really good stuff that people will never know about. Mm. They'll never be able to cognitive. They're, they're so biased, they'll never be able to even want to try and understand that he could have done anything good but he, he there there was a lot of good stuff um that will all be lost because he's so divisive and it and it's so so frustrating and i just think mm. you know there's there's so many great politicians i like someone like ben sass um, there's, there's, you, you, but and, and Democrats as well, um, uh, as, as well. But it's just frustrating for us as, as a Brit looking at the US and thinking, oh come
1: on. Well, no, we have the same please, thing please, here. I please, mean, yeah. please, <laughs>
2: you, you, you must be able to do better than these two old yeah. doddery dudes.
1: Yeah. I, well, just,
0: sometimes I worry about that with with British politicians as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we We got, got to do better than just the Etonians. I mean, just just on this note, I'm noticing time, but the yeah, sorry. I think just kind of going back to that, I, I've I've interacted with a few Americans on on the sort of abortion debate, but also with regards to like health health care, and it was interesting. You noted, Mike, the the difference that the the Republican seems to be very much about the individual autonomy, very much about um, you work your way up, very much um, not about the government uh, responsibility, but about all, all the way down to individual. And so things like um, the NHS to a Republican is a socialist experiment, um, and anything that like Obamacare, I don't, I don't know the ins and outs of that. Whether that was a good idea, but it sounded sounded like it was caring for the people who couldn't afford health insurance. And and health assurance, from my perspective, is the biggest scam across mm-hmm. the United States. Um, but the there might be other scams out there. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for it's, me, it's it, when, when I come. Yeah when I can walk in to the NHS and I I don't have to pay, yes, I pay in taxes, but like it's just care, (laughs) basic level, a good standard of free at the point of delivery. Mm -hmm. And, and that's for me, that's an incredible thing, but the pushback from Republicans is, is very much, well, that's that's socialism. And I, I, I wonder in that sense, the, in some ways i almost have to go yeah okay well well, to you i'm a socialist what of it (laughs) i I kind of see the gospel in in the way that works out yes the church should take responsibility where it can and should but the church also causes problems because they're not specialists in delivering medical health care um we generally make a muck of it (laughs) at (laughs) times as churches when we put put our um yes we we do things out of love and caring for the neighbor that that's good, but sometimes we do it when we're inexperienced and don't have the expertise and we make a mess and we end up doing more harm than good so i'm I'm just wondering as someone you, you seem fairly central on things yourself how how do you and I guess there's probably close to a final question how do you engage that discussion how do you contend with this idea of of labeling the opponent? Um, I'm sure to some you, you've probably, as you've been insinuated with the, with the guns book, you've you've been called left and right. <laughs> um, how how do you personally engage with that? How do you encourage other Christians to engage with that? And and then maybe we'll we'll see where that takes us.
1: Yeah, I think I think you you, it's a tough one because look, people want some people on the abortion debate want to draw analogies to like voting for a Democrat, to voting for someone who is pro-slavery in 1860. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are some similarities, but there are some pretty big differences, right? And, and and so the, I just, I say, I mean, if we start with all truth is God's truth, and then we say, well, look, yeah, this is something we disagree with, but what are, what are some good things, right? That What are some like parts of the democratic platform that reflect the gospel? Um, what are some parts of the Republican platform that don't? The the problem is too many people will just will just dismiss it all out of hand because it's on the democratic platform, but I think you just you have to start talking. I mean, I think look for me, the health insurance thing, it's, it's terrible that somehow that you whether you're going to get care or afford cares, your know, insurance is tied to employment status in the U.S. That's mm-hmm. bizarre. Uh, I teach a medical ethics class, and we looked at Canada's system and. One thing that falls out of some of that is Canadians have complaints about it, but they want to keep it, right? Well, I'm not sure. I don't know anyone who's happy with their health insurance in the United States. Mm. Um, And so, but yeah, I guess I just, I want people to look more generally, right? Rather than this laser focus on abortion, which is, of course, it's a significant and important issue, but it's not the only issue. And so we have to broaden it. I mean, the Democratic Party could win a lot more votes in the U.S., if it just, you didn't have to put a, get, put a pro-life candidate up, but just was friendly to pro-life people. I mean, there is a mm-hmm. pro-life Democrats organization, and, and so they're out there, but they're not, you know, official party status. So, yeah, I think we, look, I my view is let's just, try, let's see where is the common ground and start there. Um, whether mm-hmm. it's Christians looking at political issues, whether it's two people discussing them, that's what I try to teach my students. That's what I try to do. Um yeah, in these mm-hmm. discussions. But I think the hard thing is, it doesn't feel like there is as much anymore because things, just, you know, you can just dismiss all that as socialism or all that as party of death or the Republicans mm-hmm. are all fascists or the Democrats are all uh, bloodthirsty Antifa members. I mean, just all this stuff. Just, <laughs> or then it's just, I kind of want to go back to what Dan said. Well, I'll just write my books, teach my classes, coach my team, love my wife and kids. <laughs> hang out with my dogs and watch netflix yeah.
0: <laughs> it, it mike, does sound like a good life
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so bad, yeah mike have you have
2: you ever come across um a book by jerry arbuckle about um the founding myth of healthcare? because it's, it's quite an interesting thing because he basically says that that um that universal you know healthcare or what americans would call socialized medicine is he? He basically says that it's 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 predicated on on the good the the parable of the good Samaritan. That was actually the founding myth of Western healthcare. Is this whole idea of helping the stranger, the per, you know um you know the 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 injured traveler, and um that that's something I've often found It's like well people are like well look if you're a Christian, actually this is this is this is deeply rooted in Scripture of, of caring and and wanting, uh, and taking care of others who are unable to. Uh, using your own resources. I know people then go, well, okay, well that's about personal charity and not one in the government and then that that starts a whole debate. But I think, you know, it it it's it is close to your line. There does seem something good about everyone pooling their resources to help those that, that wouldn't otherwise be able to access care and and, and resources that that are going to help them. And and our you know, your, your health is one of the most valuable things you have. You don't have health, you can't you can't enjoy any other goods, you know, really without, without your health, you know, in many, in many
0: ways. Yeah.
2: Uh, But.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Not a conversation we're going to resolve. No, no, we've at least least put some of the world to rights by this conversation. So it's it's (laughs) nice to know that there are um, sane Christians on the other side of the, the pond who are, Riding the fence, <laughs> right. seeing where it takes us. Yeah. um I yeah, it's, you know things are bad when Tim Keller gets called a socialist and uh, oh, oh, a communist. Yeah, um, yeah and John and Piper. Yeah, things are John bizarre. Piper, yeah. It's it's a weird weird year, and hopefully we can bring some sanity back to 2021. Who knows? But yeah. I've stopped reading the, the Twitter time.
2: comments on Tim Keller's Twitter now. I'm just I just read it. and uh, I'm just like, what are these people saying?
0: Dire. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, the irony though. So I've just caught this, and maybe, maybe we'll go to our final comment, in a, a question in a moment, which is an easy one. But the the irony I find fascinating is this total fear of the bogeyman of cultural Marxism and communism. And yes, there are concerns with critical race theory. Theory for anyone who's watching who who thinks I'm turning into a Marxist, but that fear of of that is completely ignored when Trump shakes hands with Putin. <laughs> like, yeah. th- there's there's this, oh, it's all right. Trump's just making f- political allies with communism. Yeah. <laughs> but, but when I talk about racism and the fact that it's a problem fairly systemically in various areas of American society, suddenly I'm the cultural Marxist and it, it's, it's bizarre. I've, I've, I don't know what's going on with the world, but I think humility is a good place to start. And trying trying to be gracious, trying to be charitable. Uh Lord have mercy on us all. Yeah. On that, on that note, who should we th- so it'd be great for you to plug where people can find you, Mike, in your your book, uh if there's a favorite bookshop that uh isn't necessarily Amazon, yeah, but it can be Amazon, I won't I won't judge. Uh, I use Amazon too much. Um, but then also who should we know about that we might not? At least this side of the pond. Um, so, it'd be a podcast book, yeah. um person, sort of your, yeah. your person, top thinkers. That kind yeah, of thing. That's go as long as you like. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, um, yeah, I'm on Twitter at Michael W. Austin, and then I have a website, Michael And the way the website's set up right now, you can go there, and there's about six or seven different links if you want to buy God and Guns or other books, both Amazon, but also. Uh, indie bookshop, which is kind of an internet hub for independent bookshops. Um, yeah, I would, I mean, I love, I mean, he's he's not with us anymore. I love the work of Dallas Willard. That's really been uh, shaped a lot of my views of, yeah, just of the Christian life, Um the pod Renovare, they have a podcast. Um, Nathan Foster, he's Richard Foster's son, does that, which I think has been really good, both because they look at like a lot of different traditions. So there's the, you know, the talk about social justice tradition, about the contemplative tradition, all those sort of streams that Foster's written about. Um, I, I, <laughs> I just got that thing on Spotify that shows your top five podcasts. My first one. Oh, yeah. My first, my top one's Arscast, which is an Arsenal podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's Arsenal. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I do. I've got. Yeah, look there. Let's see if I. Oh, I can't do it. I've got my uh, personal flag go. up over there. But um.
0: Well, well, nice. London thirst will be interested to know. He did just say that he's he's appreciated the chat. That when you when you come to London, drinks are on us. <laughs> that sounds good. All right. Yeah, yeah actually, watch
1: Arsenal. Go down. Yeah. Yeah, I And the Emirates. My wife and I were there. Twenty twelve. I gave a talk at the Royal Institute of Philosophy, and then I was oh, able wow. to pick the date, so I scheduled it when <laughs> I got to see Arsenal beat West Brom at the Emirates. That was. Hey. Like, yeah. Yeah. That, that was glorious. So anyway, um, <laughs> there's a a couple of podcasts. So that that renovar is a great one for just spiritual growth, spiritual formation. Uh, There's some there's some Tottenham person, yeah. <laughs> or Chelsea, or you
0: know. I can't remember who Theist uh, supports, but that'll be a Q and A. Um, yeah, he's Tottenham. Okay. So uh, I mean, no, yeah, well we can't. We've all
2: got our faults. We've all got our faults.
0: That's exactly <laughs> right.
1: Yeah, we've all got vices. Um, <laughs> there's grace. That's exactly grace, right. Yeah. Grace and charity. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I would be an Arsenal supporter. It was the one sports t- club or they you know, got to choose. You know, all my teams are from Kansas City, my hometown. But I was like, okay, I'm going to pick a Premier League team because I can. You know, my my home MLS is fine, but it's not top level soccer or football. So. Mm-hmm. It was back that you know, was Arsen, you know, and I came across Arson Winger like quoting Socrates and talking about developing youth players and all this stuff, and I was like, okay, I'm in. Um, but uh, anyway, so- um, <laughs> as far as like <laughs> the theology, well, Mere Fidelity that podcast. There's a couple of mm, uh, that's great UK people on that one, and then mm-hmm. uh, there's one that I've listened to. I was on in the summer called Theology in the Raw. It's uh, yes. a guy Preston Sprinkle that I've enjoyed that. I just got some Mm -hmm. good people on there. So, yeah, those are the ones as far as I can think of that I've listened to on a regular basis and then pick and choose here and there, other stuff. But, but yeah, as far as, like, Willard and Foster, I love that for the spiritual stuff. I Mm. would – since we've been talking about it, I'm going to find this book. I'm sorry. Um,
2: Yeah, do it. Never apologize about finding a book. All right, there you go. (laughs) It's it's interesting that – Tom Price mentioned Dallas Willard last week as well, didn't he? So that's twice. Yeah. Have you not read any Dallas? Dan. no, yeah. I've not. I've not. I, oh, and right. a bit, uh, people are always mentioning Dallas Willard to me, but um, but yeah, no, I've not. I've not had the opportunity to read anything. But 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 now Mike's mentioned it again. I feel like I'm being. I should I should look after this. Go on Amazon or some other individual mm. store you know. and 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 uh, and buy some Dallas Willard books.
1: Yeah, I would try. Yeah. Divine Conspiracy or a Renovation of the Heart. Those are a couple really, they're all good, but yes. Yeah, so there's this book, Scandalous Witness by okay. Lee Camp. And it's basically, it's in the, Ameri- it's, he says Christian identities in a moral and political crisis. So it's basically like a a little manifesto about Christian politics and just, just for American Christians, but I think you could broaden the context cause it's general. So that's, that's something I would actually mm-hmm. suggest. It's, he's a scholar, but it's written in, you know, kind of one of the, kind of like the God and guns book. It's got substance, but it's not, you don't have to be an academic to understand it. Um, cool. Yeah. So I, j- I just, and I, you know, I, I've tried to get people from across the spectrum. So people that are more, you know, Keller is actually in many ways, a, is more conservative. Um, Brian Zond I don't know how you say his name on Twitter so I try to like get Christians across the spectrum and so you know I've got people on my Twitter feed retweeting Metaxas and others like retweeting Metaxas and then you know talking about how he's the devil so that's probably good I'm um, trying not to be insulated one way or the other um, yeah
0: yeah and it's
2: not difficult to do it has to be a conscious choice isn't it that's to, right to do that um because the temptation is a tiring choice sometimes it is it is it's it's so yeah. tempting just to mute people you disagree with yeah. and be surrounded yeah. by by you know everyone wants to pat you in the back but it's 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 so helpful and something that i've always recommended to people as well it's just just always read widely and read stuff that makes you a bit uncomfortable wow. um because you often you know th- i think there's only benefits to be gained from reading and engaging with people you disagree with you either change your view because you were wrong
1: uh yeah. mm-hmm.
2: or you're able to better characterize the views you do disagree with um both of which are, are immensely
0: helpful
1: yeah well but, um, and your convictions as well because if if i read a view that i disagree with and and i think well here here are the problems with it that deepens my justification for my belief that i have and and that can help you be you know live out that conviction more fully because you've got more confidence absolutely. so mm. yeah
0: there's just one, one final comment. There's a friend of the show, a funny truth, a guy named Santi. So he's, he's invited, he knows Tim. Uh, and uh, if you are interested, we can, uh, for that conversation, I'm sure he'd be interested in, in hosting that. I don't know if you've met Tim yourself, uh, if you've had that conversation already.
1: Yeah, we've had, well, you know, we did that on, there's an online, that online symposium mm-hmm. that you mentioned. So there's some back and forth. I didn't, I did, did not participate much in it. I just was like trying to survive teaching and coaching and I didn't have the bandwidth to engage it um, beyond the initial Mm. debate, but that's a good place to go. Um, and yeah, Tim and I've met, we met at a conference before the book, but a couple of years ago. So yeah, Mm.
0: there you go. I'll leave it to you to, uh, Santi watching. You can uh, get in touch through uh, Mike's Twitter and he can say yes or no. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Um, cool. Mike, it's been such a pleasure to chat. We'll, um, we said an hour and a half and uh, it's been a long day for Dan, obviously. <laughs> and for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's been a pleasure and uh, good luck with the the books. And uh, is anything else coming out soon or is that just set, the dust settling for a bit?
1: Yeah, for a little bit. So, just gonna be working, yeah, on this sort of book on humility. Kind of, I don't know what the title is, but it's basically gonna be something on humility and love, um, cool. focus on those virtues and how how it looks both politically, but in the family and friendship and the church. Just what Amazing. these for, what these Christian virtues look like, and look at some scripture in depth first. Philippians two, First Corinthians thirteen, and then branch out from there. Um, nice. Maybe yeah, well, when and that's done, we think? can uh,
0: yeah have have you on and we can talk about this some more.
1: Yeah, that sounds good.
0: Great. Cool. I'll I'll finish up. So those of you watching, thank you for getting involved in the chat. It's nice to see you all commenting. Uh, We've got uh, a celebration of 200 subs um, coming up next Friday. We've got London Theist, who's been in the chat, 136 Apologetics, who's also been in the chat, as well as Andy Kind, who's a friend of ours and has been in the conversation A little while ago Uh, it will be a live i a i'll be putting out a link to a slido.com thing soon on our social media where you can start asking us questions and voting other questions up you can ask us anything but we obviously might not answer everything um that's because it's our show and we have the right to do that so we're gonna have a laugh it should be a bit of banter and a bit of fun um feel free to join us that's next friday we usually stream on thursdays this one's uh, just getting everyone together so um, yeah Friday 8pm next week thanks for watching and follow us subscribe share you name it and uh, if you're really keen there's also patreon.com forward slash critical witness where any money goes towards paying for the stream yard and hosting subscriptions so thanks again God bless you all thanks Mike and uh, that's you from us day, day. for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show if you like what you hear please do give us a subscribe on youtube or follow us on any of the social media out there and give us feedback get in touch let us know what you think if you really enjoyed the content and want to support it find us on patreon.com